Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about plant tissue analysis, but we've got a lot of great stuff for you today. Besides that, we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag as well later in the show. If you'd like to call in at any point, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. You can also find us on Twitter, AgPhD Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so we're going to talk agronomics to begin the show here. Before we get into the plant tissue testing, Darren, there are four things that I wanted to talk about to open the show here, all agronomics. The first one, well, let's just put it this way. All of these, I hear lots of information out there. I see, I read information from people, and I'm going, oh, don't put that out. That's totally misleading farmers. I saw something today from a university that was teaching farmers how to do composite soil sampling. I'm like, are you kidding me? Composite soil sampling in this day and age? You're nuts. So the prob- here's the problem. If you do composite soil sampling... What ends up happening is, let's say you got a 160-acre field, and you're just going to go around that field and do soil tests, pull soil cores, and you're going to blend them all together. All that's telling you is the average of the field. I mean, that's when Darren and I went over to Ukraine in 2006, Darren, wouldn't you say their biggest issue was they were trying to farm all the ground the exact same way? Yep, exactly. Okay, whereas we, we just said right away, oh, man, we're at such an advantage here in the United States because we farm every acre different, every two and a half or five acres different. If you start farming 160 acres all the same, you're going to have a lot of problems because what all that's telling you, I just want you to think about this. That means that half of your field are going to overapply nitrogen and half are going to underapply. Half you're going to overapply phosphorus, half you're going to underapply. Half you're going to get the, the soil pH if... I mean, you have to do any pH correction. Let's say you had to raise the pH. Well, that means that half you're going to overdo it and half you're going to underdo it. (laughs) And so start thinking about that just a little bit. And I can tell you on our own farm, the smaller the grids we've gotten to, the more we were able to fine-tune everything and quit wasting so much money on fertilizer in the areas we didn't need it and treating areas in fields the wrong way. I mean, we've done so much dumb stuff on our farm, and that's the reason why I'm talking to you about this. And a lot of it, I shouldn't say a lot, some of it has stemmed from doing too big of uh, sample areas. So we're totally against composite sampling. You might as well throw your money in the garbage if you're going to do composite soil sampling. That's my opinion. That's probably way too harsh. But I'm just saying we just don't like it. If nothing else, go on a 10-year soil testing program. If you go, well, I can't afford one-acre grids or five-acre grids, whatever, then go on a 10-year program. And I'm dead serious about this. At least do some smaller grids on a little bit of stuff. You're going to learn so much. It's so important. Okay, that's the first thing. Next thing, too much fertilizer either in the row or two by two. So Darren, talk to us about dry versus wet in terms of uh, the of plant sensitivity to fertilizer. Well, let's keep in mind what fertilizer is, Brian. Salt. And when you think about it that way, if you just, every time you say fertilizer, also keep in your mind salt. And you say, all right, I'm going to put salt right by my seed. Now, is that going to be okay when there's plentiful moisture? In most cases, yeah, you get a lot more cushion there. But if it's dry, what does salt like to do with moisture? It likes to attract moisture. And that's exactly what a seed yep. needs to do in order to germinate and survive and thrive. Well, if you've got two things competing for the moisture, that's not good. 
And so when you're in a dry situation, if you can irrigate, great, start irrigating. Even if you've never irrigated early, start irrigating a little early because you got to do something to help that situation out because otherwise you're going to see some issues. Now, if you're in a dry land situation, shame on you. you. You made the mistake. You put too much salt near the seed. We see it every year somewhere. We get pictures every year from somebody who has done this. Well, if you're in that in that spot and it happened to you, here's what I'm going to warn you about and cost you about going forward. Next year, you're going to say, well, that only happened to me once. I've done it for 10 years. It only happened once. Yeah, but guess what happened that one time? Total train wreck. Do you want to take that chance? You're playing Russian roulette. So, no way. So here's the problem. A lot of guys go, well, I don't have enough fertilizer. What am I supposed to do? Yep. That gets to be a concern. So you've got to have more distance, more gap. That's one of the reasons why we'll do, like on our farm, we'll do some two-by-two. We'll do some in the row. We'll do some strip-till. I mean, we have three different methods where we could actually put banded fertilizer out. Otherwise, you can always broadcast. I mean, yes, PNK, it's not as efficient to broadcast, but it is much safer because you don't have as much in a concentrated spot. Okay, next thing. And this is something that I didn't realize until I was probably in my 20s. There was one year that was drier and we were working ground. And my dad's like, hey, stop working the ground. We, we got a plant same day. What are you doing? I go, what do you mean? What are we doing? We're, we're working the ground. We're getting it ready to go. And he goes, absolutely not. It's a dry spring. You can't work it a way ahead. You got to plant it the same day. In fact, he goes, I want it planted within about two to four hours after it's worked. I'm like, what? Really? Yes. And so is one of the things I talked to our guys about on our farm this year. I'm like, don't get ahead. I remember a couple phone calls from our farm manager going, hey, are you okay if we work this? And I go, no. Are you going to plant it today? No. Well, no, then I'm not okay working it. You can't work it in a dry spring and not plant it the same day. So it's just another little thing that we that I picked up from our dad. And we're just talking about it here because we've seen this mistake. So, Darren, you, how many fields have you been in this spring where it's been dry, wet, dry, wet? And so then you, uh, you, emergence is uneven. Yep. And totally something that you can prevent. So it's one of those things you just have to learn. And, yep, don't expect anyone to know every answer or every possible situation. But, hey, we get to farm for hopefully 20, 30, 40 years and you see that once, and you have to just kind of keep that in the memory bank. It's so easy to forget. And I talk to a lot of guys who will talk about last year quite often, but the ones that are successful are documenting some of these things. Write it down. Keep track of things. Why are we doing it a certain way? Because you're not going to remember all those situations forever. Last thing I got is weed control. And the temperatures like here, it's going to be in the 90s today, and so things are really going to pop. But I would just really strongly encourage you, try to be on the early side, killing your weeds rather than on the late side. Small weeds are much easier to control than big weeds. We're talking about plant tissue testing. Maybe you didn't guess that by our topic or our discussion so far. We'll talk about plant tissue testing on our show today. And our phone lines will be open as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
How did planting go on your farm this year? Was everything perfect or did conditions stink, leading you to regret your planter's performance? If you had trouble closing your seed trench, your planter needs Germinator Closing Wheels from FarmShop MFG. Plus, with our late season discounts and free shipping, right now is the best time to upgrade. So don't let your planter disappoint you again. Fix the problem today. Order your Germinators now at FarmShopMFG.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for heads-up seed treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on Ag PhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and our topic is going to be plant tissue testing. Now, we get a lot of questions about nutrients in crops. When do we need them, and, and how much of each nutrient do we need out in the field? And we'd like to start with a soil sample. And Brian was talking a little bit earlier that we'd really like to see very site-specific samples with grid samples. We're down to one-acre grids on our farm. Not everybody is going to manage it down to that level, but the tighter you can manage it, maybe for your farm, you say, well, I've pulled one sample on a 40-acre field. Maybe you get to doing five-acre grids or something out there. It doesn't add a whole lot of cost, but it adds a little bit. But now you have more data that you can work from. And then the other thing that we like to do is pull plant tissue tests. And if we can do that right where we have soil test data, now we can start comparing things to see, all right, my soil test said I'm short in this nutrient. Oh man, now my plant tissue, when they test that, is showing that it's short in that nutrient too. And that's a pretty good idea that you need to up up your game in your fertility program. We've got Joe Cisco with us right now with Midwest Labs. They're located near Omaha, Nebraska. Joe, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you, Darren. Today we're talking about shared our uh, tissue sampling. It's, it's I've been taking a number of calls this morning about tissue sampling, when to start pulling them, and what part plants or parts of the plant to pull. So yeah, it's going to be interesting it's that too. Time I, of the year. I look at, at your state of Nebraska, and I just drove through much of Nebraska over the weekend, and. Hey, corn is still really small, but it is going to explode when you get this heat this week. So growers are, are looking at different growth stages out there. We've got a lot of corn in the V3, V4 stage, I would say, across Nebraska. So it looks like a pretty good place to start for me. It is. It is. We have, a, you know, we've had our traditional tissue sampling. And the program in the past has been, well, we tissue sample when we see an issue. Um, but in the last... In the last five years, we started to look at more tissue sampling on a regular basis before we see anything. It's more of a trying to discover if everything we put in order 
whether it's our seed, our fertility, um, our disease packages, everything is put in order correctly. Now we start tissue sampling to see if all those re all those inputs that we're putting in, if there's a positive you know return on investment. And I heard you start start out with the soil is the soil sample is where we start. We want to understand what's going into that plant from the soil side, and then we we team that up with a tissue sample. Um, I'm excited. This year we started a program. We're launching a program called Shared Insights, and it's a week-to-week -week tissue sampling program that builds on itself. And clients can, you know, they can work with their agronomists, enroll in this Shared Insights, and then starting at that V4 all the way through black layer, they can take 12 weeks of consecutive tissue samples and they can compare an average portion of their field with a higher yielding portion of their field and then develop some plans, game plans for this year or maybe uh, future game plans for next if they don't see the right results. You know, I think one thing you said there that I just want to make sure our listeners realize how important this is. You talked about doing this weekly, and and I don't know if there's any magic about every seven days, but just getting repeated tests taken throughout the season so you can start to see some of these trends. I know that's been very valuable for us. Like, for example, on our farm, Joe, we were short in potassium, but the soil test said, well, you know, we've got an okay level out there. But what we found is we had really good levels early in the season. As soon as we got to the peak demand times for our crops, we just didn't have enough out there. And that was really eye-opening to us. If we would have just pulled one tissue sample mid-season, it said we were still doing okay. But by pulling tissue tests throughout the season, we saw at peak demand, we were really falling behind. Well, and you're right. See, that one tissue sample is just a snapshot. It's from that it's from that V8 stage or that V10 stage. And so you were fine, but then you went into tassel time and maybe it dropped down and it's like, okay, what could you have done differently leading up to that? And that's why so many of your growers, your height, high producing growers are looking for that extra that extra edge okay what can i do differently you know on this nutrient or that and specifically micros because we have key times of the year you know there's a post emerge application coming you know there's a potential side dress application of nitrogen what could you mix in then there's a potential uh, fungicide insecticide application at prior to tassel or even at brown silk so what could you do at those various stages and how could you use a tissue sampling program to help you make that decision? Yeah, that is great stuff. And, and Joe, we've gotten a number of questions from our listeners that, hey, if you ever get somebody on that, that could speak to this, we'd love to hear what is the best way to send samples in. So there, there are quite a few growers across the country pulling plant tissue tests. What are some of the important keys here to make sure you have a good sample to work with when it gets to the lab? Well, there are sampling procedures. We have various guides. We just updated our, our sampling guide for plant tissue analysis. Um, you can type in plant tissue analysis guide at midwestlabs.com, and it'll give you one page of verbiage, kind of how to do a correct tissue sample, and then it gives you another page of what parts to pull from various crops and what parts to pull when they're in the seedling stage. 
versus when they're in the reproductive stage. And then also how to how to prepare that sample and get it sent off to the lab correctly. And I like the tissue sample on Monday, Tuesday, so I can get it into the lab, preferably by Wednesday morning, and then get the results by Friday, maybe have an actionable weekend where I can actually pick up my product on Friday and get it applied. You know, I, I look at it, I agree with you on all those points. For me, washing off the leaves with distilled water, if necessary, I know I've pulled samples before where there's been a rainfall event and there's dirt splashed up on the leaves, something like that. If, we, if we've got clean leaves that we're sending in or if you just made a foliar application of something sticky and and maybe you had a nutrient in there well that could be stuck on the outside of the leaf and if you wash off that excess and see what actually got in the plant that could be beneficial for you the other thing for me is a, a paper breathable bag because uh, sending stuff in in a ziploc baggie it looks pretty mushy pretty fast yes you just send a silage by the time it gets through <laughs> yes. the shipping department and then into our into our receiving, it's it's silage. And then you're correct. I I carry a bottle of distilled water with me. Um, if there's if there's any rain splash, like you said, I try to get that off because I'm going to elevate my iron levels. If I have any soil at all, iron particularly, but some of those micronutrients could be affected. Um, your fungicide applications, uh, you might want to wait, maybe a week after a fungicide application because some of those products you have to read the label but they might have a copper in them okay and that could that could elevate your copper levels um yeah and just you never know you might want to stay away from a foliar application altogether by at least a week or have a rain event in between tissue sampling but um when you're pulling tissue samples on corn anything that's below that one foot tall you got to watch for that rain or irrigation splash and Always avoid, uh, we've been doing weekly trainings with different clients, always avoid dead or damaged material. Um, if a hailstorm comes through, maybe wait a day or two until that next leaf unfurls and then pull it. If, if you were going for the V7 but you had a hailstorm and it wiped it out, take the V8 stage. Yeah, and you mentioned too, Joe, when you were starting, you said uh, we, we've really evolved over the last number of years here where growers used to just pull plant tissue tests primarily when they had a problem in the field trying to figure out what went wrong. And now we're seeing so many growers starting to use this as a management practice and do planned testing throughout the season to try to learn as much as they can because we're spending so much money on fertility. We've got so much on the line here with our crop. We want to make sure that we're doing things the best way we possibly Possibly can. Talking with Joe Cisco here with Midwest Labs. Joe, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on and stay safe here the rest of the spring. Thank you. Have a great day. You as well. We're talking about plant tissue testing on today's Ag PhD program. You can call and join the discussion at 844 44AGPHD. We'll be right back. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. 
Did planting conditions stink on your farm this year? If you had trouble closing your seed trench, your planter needs Germinator Closing Wheels from FarmShop MFG. Don't let your planter disappoint you again. Fix the problem today. Order your Germinators now at FarmShopMFG.com. Hey, Adam. New drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree. In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System. The system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. When it comes to trusted herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. And you certainly know New Farm exclusive Weedmaster. For decades, Weedmaster has been the go-to herbicide for consistent burndown weed control in a huge variety of crops, and in range and pasture management, too. Don't let yield-robbing weeds stand in the way of your progress or profits. New Farm and Weedmaster Herbicide, here to help. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about plant tissue testing in crops. On today's program, we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And of course, you can email us radio at agphd.com. Happy to have Dr. Antonio Malarino with us right now with Iowa State University. Uh, Antonio, thanks for joining us. It is a pleasure. We're talking about plant tissue testing today, and this is something we're seeing more growers start to add to their program. We see a lot of a lot of soil sampling being done, but we're seeing more guys starting to add tissue testing to the equation. What advice do you have for us as as we get into looking at nutrient content of our crops in a little different way? Yeah, you're right. That's the case. That's why over the last uh, five, six years, I have been working a lot on, on tissue testing. Well, uh, my general advice uh, is that uh, they need to be careful, you see, because people believe that just because you do tissue testing, that that should be the the, the true 
nutrient um, content or availability for the plant, uh, but they they don't understand that for the tissue testing, we need to do the same thing that we do with uh, soil tests, which is the, the calibration with yield. And the problem we have, you know, is that most states have lots of data about soil test calibration research with yield response. But for uh, t- for tissue testing, you know, there is not much. It's, it's more difficult, you know, and there is really uh, little research. So uh, people need to be, I mean, aware of that, you know, that, uh, for example, we have, um, we published last year a new, a new extension publication. We worked for several years with P&K, uh, tissue testing in corn and soybeans, so we have some calibrations, you know, and uh, so we can give a meaning to that soil test results. Uh, but for other things, you know, there is not much research around. This is one, this is the most important thing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We see plant tissue results and it says, oh, we have 5% nitrogen in the plant and we don't really know how much do we need? Do we need seven and a half? Are we fine with 2%? Where where should we be in some of these things? And, and with time, we could get this. Is this something where you would suggest growers keeping their own records and comparing year on year? Uh First of all, uh, when because there are some interpretations out there, you know, about tissue testing, but many of those, you know, don't come from actual research. You know, they come from surveys where they took the tissue test, you know, f- for example, for a crop that looks very good, you know, and then some that looks very bad, you know. But that that's not very reliable. We need to be careful. So yes. Uh, first, looking at interpretation that may be out there, university or others. And second, yes, keeping the record, but especially in, in my opinion, uh, I work mainly with PK micronutrients, you know, not as much with nitrogen, uh, but um, it, it, it should be useful to check, you know, the, 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 the soil test results. It's not something really that you should go for it, you know, but use it as, as a complement. And I would say, especially in situations when we know the soil testing, you know, result is kind of uh, uncertain. For example, when uh, high rates of uh, P and K are banded. See, in those cases, you know, the variability, spatial variability at a small scale is a nightmare with uh, soil testing. So, now, tissue testing, I, I mean, I tried that. When I started working on tissue testing like 30 years ago, I thought that it would solve all those problems. It doesn't. But in those cases, you see, having uh, the records and comparing the results of the tissue test with the soil test, then they may give them better clues, you know, about what to do. How about for side dress nitrogen? This is one that's coming up, and we've been proponents of taking pre-side dress nitrate tests, soil tests. What about plant tissue analysis as well? Is there a useful tool there? I know Iowa State's done a lot of work on the, the soil test at this time. Is there a usefulness in doing the plant tissue test at that timing as well? The, I, I haven't worked on that, but my understanding is that for what I heard, that yes, but you see, <laughs> several questions. <laughs> well, don't make so, it easy on us, Antonio. Well, even though many people, you see, I mean, some people worked 20 years ago, but there has not been a recommendations. Now, because they were analyzing, for example, the the the, the total plant. Now, some people are looking at uh, even some sensors in terms of maybe looking at the 
just the little stalk, you know, not necessarily in, in the leaves. Uh, but that's something that for, for now, at, at least we in Iowa State, don't, want, don't have a specific uh, recommendation. Yeah, we're talking about Dr. Antonio Malarino here with Iowa State University, and I I think you really summed it up with your first statement. You said the calibration to go with yield response and tissue test levels is just not great just yet, and it's something that, that's still in the process of being developed, still research being done on that. And it, it, it does provide some interesting information, no doubt about it, seeing plant tissue tests. It is really hard to dial it in that, hey, if I've got a 5% nitrogen versus a 5.2%, what does that mean for my yield? Maybe nothing, or it could be a big deal. Yep, exactly. Now, another short thing is that it is useful to do it. For example, if you see that in in, in some fields that are uh, good areas and bad areas, you know, people usually just take uh, the, the, the tissue sample from the good and the bad. To compare, that that can be so misleading, you know, because there are all these uh, dilutions and concentrations in the dry matter, you know, as the crop grows. And uh, so, what I tell them, yes, do that, but at the same time, take a soil sample from the good area and the bad area. I mean, especially for for PK and micronutrients, because that way, even if it's not the ideal time for soil sampling, well, they have the soil and the plant test, you know, in in the good area and the soil and the plant in the bad. So at least based on that, you know, and maybe with some of these uh, interpretations that are out there, then maybe they uh, they can find something useful. Yeah, I totally agree. We're talking with Dr. Antonio Malarino with Iowa State. Uh, the suggestion here, too, when you're pulling these plant tissue tests is also take a soil test in those same areas just to see what you're seeing out there as plant tissue can certainly vary in its concentration of nutrients. Antonio, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on the show today here, and, and good luck here the rest of the spring. Thank you very much, and I'm hoping everybody is keeping healthy out there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, I think he had a couple of great points here, Brian, to, to talk about. The calibration with yield response, this has been something we've heard uh, at the Ag PhD Field Day and other places around the country with growers. A little frustrated that, you know, I see these plant tissue test levels doesn't necessarily tell me what my yield potential is or, or, or what kind of yield I'm going to get in the field. And then just not having the full set of data by not having a soil test in the same spot where you have a tissue test. Boy, I agree with that 100%. If we can see the soil test and we see, you know what, I have lots of phosphorus out there and and uh, dr malarino made that comment there's some areas lots of p and k in the soil not necessarily getting doesn't necessarily mean it's all going to get into the plant or that it'll be sufficient it's something that i had just mentioned to darren this morning ironically we were talking about potassium and i said i mean i'm going to continue to hammer forth with this because we've proven this out over the last 25 years you have to have more potassium sitting there in the soil ready to go when you're in a drier and when you have drier conditions now it might just be a dry year or you might live in an area of the country that is normally dry i mean our normal total annual precip including the snow is 22 inches that's it 22 So most of the time when our crop is growing, it doesn't have what I would call ample water. It has some water, but it doesn't have enough water to push lots of that soil potassium into the plant. And we can see it after big rains and tissue testing. And, oh, all of a sudden we have some spike in the potassium level. (laughs) Well, what does that tell you? 
So that just means, and you can you can say, well, we just have to have more rain. And so you can be in that camp. And if you want to be in that camp, that's fine. But the thing is, you control what you put out there for fertilizer. And potassium's not going anywhere in our soil. Our soil is heavy. We don't have a lot of rainfall. We're frozen half the year. So, I mean, you can put out five years worth of potassium. It's not going anywhere. You don't have to worry about losing it at all. It's just an investment in the future. But now if you have the potassium level up, now there's a much better chance you're going to get it in with lower rainfall amounts. So that's part of why these things are a little bit moving targets because every year is a little different weather-wise. We'll continue talking about that and plant tissue analysis in general right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Ultra Blazer! Kind of sounds like the name of a superhero, doesn't it? Well, to soybean growers it is, because Ultra Blazer from UPL controls the toughest weeds including pigweed, ragweed, and waterhemp. And you can make it part of your resistance management program on all trait-based beans, even dicamba tolerant. Plus, with Ultra Blazer, there are no plant-back concerns. Talk about superpowers! To learn more, contact your crop protection consultant or dealer. Always read and follow label directions. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean and weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio talking plant tissue analysis today. If you've got a question for us, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in a little bit. And if you've got a question there, just email us radio at agphd.com. Okay, so talking about plant tissue analysis. When we do surveys of farmers, we find typically, on average, about 95% of farmers are not doing plant tissue analysis. So 19 out of 20 farmers are not using this. If you are one of those and you go, oh, I don't know, what am I going to learn? It seems like work, whatever else. I just really encourage you because I kind of felt the same way and when we started 20 years ago. I just really encourage you, just take a couple spots, at least in one field. So here's here's the beginner's program, let's call it that. And I'm going to make it as simple for you as possible. Just pick a couple spots that are close to the road so you don't have to walk into the field a long ways or anything like that. Pick a couple spots relatively close to the road but off the end rows. One is a high-yielding spot, another is a low-yielding spot, both in the same field. Okay. Pull a couple plants or pull a couple soil tests. So pull soil tests right in those spots. And how I want you to always soil test, this is another thing that drives me crazy. I just saw somebody's recommendations on how to soil test today, and I'm going, that is not how you soil test. <laughs> Here's how you soil test. Okay, and if you've learned it a different way, there was an old school way to do this. But now we have a new school way to do this. And the reason why is because we want repeatability. What used to happen is we'd wander around doing soil tests and then the next time we would do soil tests, we'd also wander around. Well, there's zero chance you're even close to where you pulled the test before. So, of course, the results are different. And we'd be all over the board, and you didn't really learn anything. You didn't figure out, are we getting ahead? Are we going behind? How are we doing with our overall program? We didn't know. So here's how you soil test. You pick a spot, and let you drive right up to it with your four-wheeler, your uh, your dirt bike, your pickup, whatever, you get out of the vehicle, you pull two cores on each side of the vehicle, and you, you throw them all in a bag, send it in, done. Okay, it's that simple. Eight cores, that's all you need. Now, you can do 12 if you want. You can do three on each side. That's fine. I don't care. But don't be wandering all over an acre or five acres or 20 acres to pull a soil sample. That is not how you do it. We want repeatability, and we want to know in a spot, how are we doing? Okay, so in each one of these two spots you pick, soil test. Then do plant tissue analysis every Monday for the next 12 weeks, okay? Every Monday, and I wouldn't start today. Start next Monday, and the reason why is because I want you to do it at 8 a.m., okay? Pull the soil test. You can do that right now, and mark your spots, either with GPS or a flag. And I realize flag is old school, but I don't care. If you don't have GPS... And you can't just walk out right out to the same spot with your phone. Just put a flag there. It's no big deal. And like I say, do it close to the road so this is easy. Okay. Now, I realize I've given you a three-minute explanation. You go, Brian, I thought you said this was simple. It is. I just want you to pick two spots. That's it. So pull soil test there. That's going to cost you $26 each. Then you're going to pull plant tissue tests. It's going to cost like 20 bucks each every time you send it in. And you're going to go, well, wait, 12 weeks times I'm going to spend 40 bucks a week. That's almost 500 bucks I'm going to spend. Yes, it is. This is your education, okay? Um, if you have kids, you have grandkids, they're going to college, they're going to high school, they're going somewhere to learn something. You're going to your kitchen 
and right after you get the mail or you uh, or you pull it up on your computer every week and you're going to look at your tissue test results and that's going to be your education for the summer and you're going to figure out okay how am I doing on these things and I can promise you by the time you get to the end you're going to start to figure out why is the good area good why is the bad area bad now the bad area can't be because of poor drainage and the good area is because of good drainage okay they both have to be well drained otherwise you're never going to learn anything okay so pick two fairly well-drained spots, okay? So those things are at least equal. But as long as your drainage is okay, the odds are pretty high that the reason why the one spot is better than the other spot is fertility. And we're trying to figure out how are we doing? And not just in general, but I mean, how are we spending our fertilizer dollars? Because that's ultimately how we're going to pay for that 500 bucks in education fund that you just put out there. You're going to try to learn, okay, how do I save that $500 or put it another way? How do I just learn to better invest the fertilizer dollars on my farm? And you're going to do that with soil tests and plant tissue tests. And over the course of the summer, you're going to get all these things together. Now, what we do is we'll put them all into an Excel spreadsheet and we actually map it out or graph it out. And we can see, hey, are we high, we low on average all the way through? The reason why we want to do this 12 weeks in a row is that takes out the, oh, one week there was a good weather event. Oh, one week there it was super hot and dry and it was a bad weather event or things like that. Okay. We don't want to just know on any one day, how are we doing? We want to know, hey, on average, how did we do over the course of the summer? Did we put enough nitrogen out? And I'll just tell you our experience on our farm. So when we first started doing plant tissue analysis about 20 years ago, our problem was we were guessing all the time at fertility. We really didn't know. And I don't like to guess, especially when we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in fertilizer. Now, even if you have manure, by the way, you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, or put it another way, you've put hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of fertility out there if you farm very many acres. So you got to learn how to do it and how to do it right. And so you can make more money. That's the whole goal is raise a better crop, make more money, make the environment better. You can do all those things if you just learn how to do fertility better. And I'm not saying I'm the world's leading expert, but the older I get, the more data I have off our own farm and the smarter I'm going to look. It's not just because I'm smart or anything. It's because I've got more data and I want you to have data too. So anyway, my story is 20 years ago when we first started playing plant tissue tests, I thought I was the dumbest person on the face of the earth when every single week the test came out and it said I was excessive on nitrogen and I was completely deficient on potassium and boron and zinc. And it wasn't just a week or two weeks. It was all summer long. And every week the test came back the same. And every week I go, man, I'm stupid. I got to change something here. And the next year, we didn't have to spend any more dollars. All we did is cut back on our nitrogen, put more, put some money into potassium, boron, and zinc. And what do you think magically happened to yield? Yield went up, and I didn't spend any more money. So what happened to profit? Profit went up. 
Okay, so instead of me being continuing to be dumb, I got some data, and all of a sudden I looked smarter. Well, I wasn't any smarter. I just had the data so I could make better decisions, and that's why you do plant tissue analysis, but that's also why you do soil testing. We want to see where are our levels at in the soil that are giving us these good or bad readings, and that really helps us fine-tune our fertility program. Now, sometimes, yes, you can use plant tissue analysis to get more fertilizer out there right now, but you've already lost yield. If your plants are deficient in any nutrient for any time, you've already lost yield. Okay, and I'm not saying you can't make things better, you can't start fixing a problem, it's going to help, all that, I get all that. Yes, you can do that in season, but ultimately, to get the best yield, you got to have a better fertility program the next year. So by and large, we just have used plant tissue analysis to help us fine-tune what we're putting on or in the soil going into the next year. Whether we're doing that banded or no-till or conventional till or broadcast, I don't care, but the point is we have have to get more fertility into the plant somehow, some way, if we're consistently low. Now, the other thing that I would say is you're going to hear some naysayers out there. So if you go to the coffee shop, of course, everything that you say that's new and different is going to be wrong, right? But but I just say this, you got to try some stuff and then you learn. I, I, I just am a big believer in just start trying, throwing some things at a wall. You're not spinning an arm and a leg. Just try some things. You'll figure it out. You'll get more information. You'll get more data. You're going to get smarter. And that ultimately is going to mean better things for you on your farm. But anyway, you know, nobody, I, I just say this, and, and this is kind of what we went through earlier in the show when Darren was talking to a couple of guests. There's no exact right thing. We don't, nobody knows exactly where it's supposed to be. But we can easily pick out the, the, you know, super high things or super excessive things or the super deficient things. Those things we can pick out. And you might not think you have any of those. I didn't either, but we did. So I love plant tissue analysis. I would encourage you to use it on your farm. All right, well, we'll get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag next. Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. 
Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rose? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Corn and soybean growers are in a race against time when it comes to hard-to-kill weeds. Interline Herbicide from UPL works fast to eliminate some of the most challenging glyphosate-resistant weeds, including pigweed, waterhemp, mare's tail, and ragweed. Interline can be used as a burn-down treatment or as an over-the-top treatment in glufosinate-tolerant crops, including Liberty Link varieties. Ask your retailer or UPL sales representative about Interline, and always read and follow label directions. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Your emails, radio at agphd.com, or even your tweets. Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. We're now in the Ag PhD mailbag time. We've got an email that we'll start with. This one comes from Tanner. He said, you've said that sufficient nitrogen is key to protein and to yield in wheat, and by extension, triticale. I farm triticale for forage, and we harvest the plant, and we harvest while the plant is in the boot stage. What should be the timing of our nitrogen application in order to maximize yield and protein with a goal of 15%? Also, in an irrigated situation, how much ground moisture is optimal as the plant germinates, sprouts, and until it reaches V6? Should we put all the ground, or should we put on all the ground will handle? Should we keep it a little on the dry side? My general rule has been to try to keep the ground wet enough I can form a clod with my hand when I squeeze the soil. Yeah. Okay. You got two kind of tricky questions here. So uh, I. Yes, with triticale, it's basically the same thing as wheat. You need enough nitrogen, not just for yield, but for protein also. And the yield's going to get set a little sooner than the protein's going to get set. So what happens in triticale is the same thing that's going to happen in wheat, where if you have enough nitrogen to have a good yield, but not quite enough to get good protein, you can have the good yield with a low protein score. So, you know, in terms of when you put it on, let, let me just... Phrase it this way, and then you can use your best judgment, okay? So in my case, I've got heavy soil, not a lot of rainfall. There's no way I'm losing my nitrogen to leaching. In most cases, I'd say 95% of the time, I'm not going to lose my nitrogen to leaching if I put it on at any point in season. So even when the wheat is, you know, three inches tall or triticale is three inches tall, I'm not losing it to leaching. Okay, so it's going to be there. It's going to be there and ready to go for the crop. Now, if you have light soil, you have lots of rainfall, 
you have a different climate than I do, you're much hotter, then you've got much more risk of losing that nitrogen. So it, and then here's the other factor you got to look at, or soil organic matter. Let's say you've got 1% organic matter versus 7. If you have 7% organic matter in the soil, the soil is going to be releasing seven times as much as that 1% organic matter soil in terms of nitrogen. So over the course of an entire summer, you could be looking at a difference between the 7% and the 1% of anywhere from 100 pounds to maybe even 150 or 180 pounds. Seriously, over, I mean, I'm talking the course of the entire season. So if you've got a half-season crop, like I would consider wheat and triticale in our region here, then, you know, you might get half of that out. So if you start thinking about 50, 80 more pounds of nitrogen in your organic matter, if you had 7% versus 1%, well, you don't need to apply as much nitrogen. So those are the, t the big factors that I'm looking at. How, how much nitrogen can you hold? Overall, you look at your cation exchange capacity, how heavy is that ground, and then how much rainfall you normally get. And then the other side of it is the organic matter. So there isn't a specific time. There isn't a specific crop stage. All I know is I want the plant to have enough nitrogen all the way through to finish it out. So you, they, those are the parameters. Now you use your best judgment. Okay, that other question, uh, Darren, what was the second one again? How wet do you want oh, the yeah, soil how wet. around germination? Okay, so especially at germination, it's that I'd almost rather be a little too wet. So we, we were just, Darren and I were just having this discussion this morning too about guys with irrigators. They're so lucky. <laughs> or maybe, maybe it's just they invested the money, right? But anyway, the point is when you, you seed, you've got to make sure you have good soil moisture right there. Now, you want to have good seed to soil contact first, but then you've got to look at, okay, soil moisture. If I don't have enough soil moisture, those pivots better be running. I mean, like right after seeding. So we want to make sure we have good soil moisture then. And at that point, I love his idea of basically, uh, what? how did he describe it? Ball it up and yep, what did he you say? Can, you can ball it up. Maybe. Yeah, okay. So I love that much moisture. After that point, I might be just a hair on the dry side, not lots dry, but a hair on the dry side. Now, there are moisture sensors out there, and you know I don't know your soil, and I don't know what your CEC is or anything like that. But I would say I want to be a little wetter right after planting until germination is complete. I mean 100% complete in the field, and that's going to take a little while. And then I want to be a little bit on the drier side, and then when the crop starts needing lots of nutrients, then I need to, you know, continue putting more water out there on a fairly regular basis. Now, there are plenty of charts out there that are going to show you how much moisture wheat uses, and I assume there have to be some charts on triticale too. But I think we all know that, hey, as it gets closer, as it gets later in the season and the crop gets bigger and it's really growing fast, that's obviously when it's going to use lots of water. So then, yes, I don't have any big problem if you can ball it up then. But the, the general statement is this. For soil, we want to make sure we still maintain 25% air in the soil. So if you start overdoing it on water and you have poor drainage, now you're going to cause more harm than you're going to do good. So you've got to weigh that out. So I, I realize your two questions, I couldn't answer either one of them, and no one can specifically, exactly. But I'm trying to give you the things that you need to look at so you can figure it out yourself. All right. Thanks for the question. Um 
Yeah, boy, I got a bunch of them. Okay, so Jason in Alberta, <laughs> uh, we, we he said, thanks for reading my note on the show uh, last week where you talked about resistance to managing water in Alberta. And basically they changed their wetland policy back in 2016 with the goal of conserving, restoring, protecting, and managing Alberta's wetlands to sustain the benefits they provide the environment, society, and economy. And he said the province implemented this new policy because they believe there's been a loss of wetlands in the area and they want to stop that. So, yes, like Brian said, we need to do something soon because not being able to farm land that's too wet when we know tile can make a difference is just not working. Well, it's kind of like in the United States. You know, if somebody wants to keep a duck pond, I'm not arguing that at all. I, I don't I don't I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about tiling fields that are already farmed. 100%. And it's just improving the drainage so we can raise better crop, have a healthier soil, and produce more food there. Because eventually, here's the thing. People like hunting and wildlife and scenery and everything else. But you know what I found people like even more than that? They like to eat. And if we run out of food, um, all those hunting areas, recreation areas, uh, all that other stuff, that's all gone. Okay, so don't forget that. And I realize we're not at that juncture today where everything needs to disappear in order to feed everybody. But if we can't continue to produce more food and do a good job on the acres we already have, and that's all I'm asking for, then we have to start taking some of those other acres out of production. So if you look in the United States, for example, we farm fewer acres today than we did back in the 30s. So, I mean, almost 100 years ago, we farmed more acres. And guess what? We're producing more. Um, If you compare how much fertilizer we're using to 20, 30 years ago, we're using less using less water for irrigation. I mean, we're doing a fantastic job. Farmers do not get enough credit. So if you're a farmer today, let me just say, you're doing an amazing job. You're doing great. But if we're going to all get to the next level, we got to continue to make some improvements out there. And one of the big changes, the other day we were talking about no-till. No-till is amazing. If you're in a drier area and you want to conserve moisture, you want to prevent erosion, things like that, it's fantastic. But the problem is some guys have gone to no-till and now they go, yeah, I was too dry, so I switched to no-till. Now I'm too wet. <laughs> I can't plant all the time or I'm making ruts and then I have to go till and I don't want to do that. Well, put some tile on the ground. And so when people are getting fought on the tile thing, that tells me they don't understand what tile does. So if you want to create a wetlands rule, that's that should be totally separate from allowing tile on, on regular crop fields. Right. So thanks for the question. Got a question from Will, and he said, there was a Midwest Labs person on your show today who mentioned their Shared Insights program. Where can I find more about that? Uh, go to their website, MidwestLabs.com. I, I just clicked on it just to see if it was on there, and right across the top they've got a scrolling header. I think it's about the third or fourth point over where it had some more information on their Shared Insights program. Thanks, Will. Really appreciate you listening to the show. I got this one from Guillermo. He said, thank you so much for your excellent information on your program. It's helping me a lot in my field. I work as a plant pathologist. Oh, thanks, Guillermo. Really appreciate that. I uh, got one here from uh, Fidel. He said, how can I drain salt water underground on my farm? If I dig one meter, there's water coming up. Sounds like tile to me. So we were talking about salt. Darren mentioned fertilizer is salt, and that's true. Fertilizer is salt. Salt is leachable, though. So if you have good drainage out there, you're going to get rid of the salt with normal rainfall. Right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. 
Thanks to everybody for listening today. We had a fun time talking about plant tissue analysis. As always, you can find more resources on our website, agphd.com. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now, stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.